As we stand in this house today, I invite you to hear the word of the Lord from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 6. Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's pray. Our good and our holy God, we are grateful for this Sunday morning. We thank you that we can meet together on this corner in this city on this Lord's Day to worship you. We recognize, Lord, that this is a gift of your grace. And it's a call upon the life of every disciple of Jesus that we would not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Lord, you've called us to this, even commanded us to this, because you are good. And when we gather in your name, you do beautiful things among us. You give us strength for the journey. You give us water for the road. You give us bread for the fight. Lord, you enter into our lives as we enter into yours. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you for your voice that speaks. Lord, we ask you to give us ears to hear. We ask you, Lord, to give us tender hearts that we would receive your word like a seed planted in rich soil. We ask you, God, to give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. We ask you, Lord, to strengthen our frame that our work, our deeds in this earth would be like your very own. And God, we pray that a word of hope and life would be found on our lips. God, we love you because you loved us first. And in your love, we give you thanks and we say together, amen and amen. Friends, please be seated. We continue this week our message in the Beatitudes with 5-6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be When you get a sentence that clear, that direct, that tight, that wonderful in Scripture, you don't have to do a lot creatively with it as a preacher. You don't have to search out the big idea. It's just there before you. You have this great gift from Jesus in this one sentence where he talks about the wonders of God, the way of the kingdom, and he invites us into it. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And listen to this invitation. Listen to this promise. Listen to this gift. For they shall be satisfied. For just a few moments this morning, I want to walk through that beautiful sentence of Jesus. Piece by piece, part by part. Maybe you're hearing it for the very first time in your whole life. Maybe you have heard this for for 80 plus years of living. It has the power to impact those who have heard it 80 plus years and those who are hearing it afresh. Because it is the word of God through the lips of Jesus. So let's hear it again this morning. Blessed are they. As we began this series, we recognized that when Jesus was saying blessed, he was saying something equivalent to congratulations. 
He's looking at his disciples, those people who had made a step toward him. He, he sat down and he was speaking to those disciples and the crowds were around looking on and listening in. And he looked at those disciples and he said, congratulations. And here he says again, blessed are they. He's helping them to understand what the blessed life is about. And everybody seems to want to tell you what the best life is about. You can go to the bookstore today and find a handful of books on the blessed life and then it's promise right now and you'll get all kind of answers to the question, what does it mean to live the blessed life? Well, if you're hungry for an answer to that kind of question, which all of humanity is, it's important to go to the source. And the source is the blesser and the blesser is Jesus. And here he is on that mountain so many years ago saying, congratulations. I'm here to tell you what the blessed life is. I'm here to show you what the blessed life is. Last Sunday I said that the, the, the wonder of this all is not only in the Sermon on the Mount do we get the way of the kingdom, but primarily and before that, underneath that, above that, to the right of it, to the left of it, out in front of it, and pushing from the back, we get the wonder of the king. There is no kingdom of God without a king. And Jesus is here saying, congratulations. I'm going to show you what God's like. Congratulations, I'm going to invite you into that life. Years ago, there was a man named E. Stanley Jones. He, he would become a very famous missionary. He would become a witness for Christ in India. He, he founded a Christian ashram. He became friends with Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, he, he was a voice of clarity, speaking the beauty and the truth of the Gospels. But before that, he was just like the rest of us, a searcher, trying to figure out the way. And he found himself in Russia as a, as a younger person, and he was trying to figure out the big picture. He was trying to figure out the big issues of life, and he was, he was seeing all of these things. He was hearing all of these promises, and he found himself traveling through Russia just hungering after God, just thirsting after God, and maybe even broader than that, just trying to figure out how to live in the world. And, and he was on a train, and he had his little Bible, and he, and he was going through the Bible, and he came to Hebrews eleven twenty eight, And in that passage of Scripture, it talked about how we were receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. He thought about where he'd come from, and he thought about what was going on in Russia. He thought about the world, and he thought about the way of it. And he recognized that everything that we run into in this life is shakable and is being shaken. He said the stock market, we learned, was not unshakable. He said Eisenhower had a little flare-up with his heart, and billions of dollars were marked off in a moment. He said, nations are not unshakable. People are not unshakable. Power is shaken day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. Picking up the newspaper, he recognized in the newspaper a whole lot of shaking was going on. Everything was all shook up. And here is this promise that we would receive an unshakable kingdom. And as he went back 
into the New Testament. As he, as he studied it with fresh eyes, he recognized that the only way and the only reason that we can receive from God an unshakable kingdom is because we have in Christ the unchanging person. And he said, the unchanging person of Christ is the reason that the kingdom of Christ is unshakable. Because the king and the kingdom are one. He said, Jesus was at once the revelation in flesh of what God is like and what the kingdom is like. So often when we come to the Beatitudes, we somehow in our hearts, somehow in our minds, divorce the king from the kingdom. And we think maybe, just maybe, this is the code. Maybe this is the, this is the code we crack and now we're living life and we can do this. We can follow these rules. We can jump through these hoops and we are there. We can have the kingdom without the king. Month by month, I meet bright, young people full of hope and ambition, and, and, and they have not yet crumbled to cynicism. But in their heart, there is this strange notion that there can be a kingdom without a king. And Jesus tabernacled among us to dispel that silly notion. And he said, blessed are they. And they were blessed because they were eyeball to eyeball with God in the flesh. They were blessed because they were united with him. They were his people, his followers. And he was showing them what God was like. And he was showing them what it was like to walk in the way of the kingdom. The blessed life is the Christ life. Blessed are they. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. Now, friends, that doesn't really sound all that blessed to me. Have you ever really been thirsty? Have you ever really been hungry? There's only a few people in this room that I know of have been authentically and actually hungry. Really, really thirsty. But the people that were listening to Jesus, many of them had known privation. They, they had known in that arid environment what it was like to be really, really hungry. Because the crops didn't make and the animals were skinny. They knew hunger. And they knew thirst. And it wasn't like an elegant kind of thing. It wasn't like a, like a let's go to this spiritual formation class and learn how to hunger and thirst it was gritty and raw and real and it was unpleasant. And if you're hungry and thirsty, all you have is one desire. And that's to eat. And that's to drink. And that desire is planted in you by God to keep you alive. And here's Jesus just blowing the doors off of things. Not, not a kinder, gentler rabbi. He's just talking gritty from the get-go. He says, blessed are they that are hungry, that are, that are thirsty. When I entered the seminary in New Orleans, I entered it as a Master of Divinity and Counseling double major. I wanted to be a Christian counselor. 
or at least I thought I did. I wanted to be a therapist. Uh, really and truly, I was called to, to be a pastor, but I had this in the back of my mind. I don't want to have to eat out of the offering plate. I want to be a pastor that can hang out a shingle. I want to be a pastor that's not beholden to the gifts and the givers. I want to be a pastor, but I want to be one that can have a little financial independence. I mean, that's, this is how I, when I look at it, this is what I was really thinking. But I was telling everybody else, I feel like God has called me to help those who are hurting. And God calls a lot of people to do that. But friends, and I try to love y'all and I pray for y'all, but I would have been a, a wretched like pro counselor. I mean, I about four, four sessions in and I'm like, we got to get someplace or I'm done. <laughs> And so I finally just came to peace with that, that I wasn't really called to be a professional Christian counselor. I was called to be a pastor. Uh, and so I just had to figure out how to be a pastor and eat out of the offering plate at the same time. I also had to be free enough to quit if I ever needed to, for your sake and mine. But I took a lot of classes. I mean, I have so many elective hours in counseling, it's not even funny. I mean, I've just got a bucket load of counseling classes. And I remember in those early counseling classes hearing about Abraham Maslow and his hierarchy of need, you know. And at the bottom of that great pyramid were all your physiological needs. And at the top of that great pyramid were your higher order kind of needs. And unless you dealt with the bottom thing, you never get to the top of the things. And Jesus sits on a mountain and he says, He says, listen, let me tell you how to live the blessed life. Let me tell you how to bring order to your life. Let me, let me how to tell you how to live the life that really lives. And that's, that's you, you got you to get positioned in such a way that God grabs all your desire and pulls it forward into his good future. Jesus on that mountaintop says, those lower order things, he says, if you really want to live, God has got to enter into the power and the push of the lower order things. And just as you do anything to eat and drink to live, you got to have a heart that runs passionately after God. Scripture talked about a famine of the word. And Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, that man does not live by bread alone, but by the words of God. You see, desire is not to be suppressed, it's to be channeled. And God wants to channel it for his glory and for our good. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. In our quest for integrity, we try to organize all the things. And Jesus just says, seek God. Because in seeking God, we're seeking both the king and the kingdom, both the wonders of the king and the ways of the kingdom. And then God orders all the things and makes our life whole, makes our life holy. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now this is where we get tripped up because this is when we start acting like heroes or absolute villains. This is when we start grading each other's papers at our own. This is when we start hoping against hope that God grades on the curve. And <laughs> this is when we get in a mess. 
This is when we live with either pride or despair. Uh, blessed are they which hunger after righteousness. Whose righteousness? Yours? Mine? Isaiah said that our righteousness were like defiled garments. They were like filthy rags. There has to be a righteousness better than our dirty righteousness that we hunger and thirst after. In the third chapter of Romans, Paul talks about the righteousness of God. In the chapters that preceded that, he made the case that Jew and Gentile alike stood before God, both culpable and captive to sin, uh, in need equally of his mercy and his grace. And in chapter 3, he talked about the righteousness of God. And he said, what advantage is there to being a Jew over being a Gentile if everybody stands guilty before God? And, and one of the things he says, he says, let me tell you what's special about my people. Let me tell you what's beautiful about being a Jewish person is that we were entrusted the oracles of God. That God is a God of grace and God is a God of revelation. And he turns to us in love to show us who he is and, and how he is. And in the oracles of God, we learn both. We learn both our deep need and we learn God's deep mercy. And Karl Barth said, in all of that, we learn of an impossible possibility. This is, this is how he talked about it. He said, by their recollection of the impossible, they are themselves the proof that God stands within the realm of possibility. Not as one possibility among others, but, and this is precisely what is made clear in their case, as the impossible possibility. The oracles of God, of which they are the possessors and guardians, are the comprehensible signs of the incomprehensible truth that though the world is incapable of redemption, yet, 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 there is redemption in the world. That's a redemption we can hunger for. That's a redemption we can thirst for. Because without that redemption, we starve. And we perish in the desert. But God in his grace has offered us that impossible possibility, the very righteousness of God. We sang about it today. You are our righteousness. And out of our gratitude for that grace, we seek to have our life conform to his will and his ways. And the practical outgrowth of that is a practical righteousness that touches our lives and the lives of those around us. But it comes from God who is a great God of mercy. Which means at the heart of the world is redemption alien to us, offered to us by God in his transforming grace and mercy. Matt Holmeyer is my good friend and a good friend to our church. He served in an interim capacity on our staff before Josh came to serve in this church. So many of us have been praying for Matt and Kelly and for all of their family as their precious daughter Addison is recuperating. She is being worked on and ministered to and cared for after a very, very difficult accident on a horse. Matt said in a, in a conference recently, in this room actually, he was telling the story of, of being in Corpus Christi at the hospital down there, uh, just trying to figure out life. I was talking to Matt all the time while he was down there, and he said, he said one day that the chaplain came in, this, this wonderful Catholic chaplain came in the room, and Matt said, I went immediately 
uh, into professional Christian mode. He said, I look, I said, oh, you're a chaplain. That's wonderful. We teach chaplains at our seminary. Uh, where did you do your CPE? Where were you trained? They started talking shop. Professional Christian stuff. Because that's what you do when you're guarding your heart. In this broken world, when you're trying to make this way in this world, you try to do it with as much precision and professionalism and care and efficiency as you can muster. You try to bring your best game to the challenge. You try to bring your righteousness to play in the midst of the world's brokenness. And that chaplain, I believe, inspired by the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, did the wisest and most wonderful thing a chaplain could do. Look, Matt, right in the eyes and said, Pastor, stop. Let's pray. And from his belly, the tears came. And the hunger came. And the thirst came. And where two were gathered in the name of Jesus, the righteous one was present. Some of us need to hear the Spirit of God say to us, Stop! Stop trying to manage it. Stop trying to control it. Stop trying to fix it. Stop! Let's, let's pray. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. We live in a very empty time. We live in a very unsatisfied time with unsatisfied minds. Years ago, some young British poet said, I can't get no satisfaction. I try, I try, and I try to try, but I can't get no satisfaction. You'd sing it too with honesty sometimes, I think. We live in a time of cultural decadence and malaise. Social critic Jacques Barzan said, By the open confession of malaise, when people accept futility and the absurd as normal, the culture is decadent. He said, The term is not a slur, it's a technical label. We can label the world that it is as a decadent world, characterized by more and more and more and more and less and less and less satisfaction. I keep trying, but I just can't get full. And I don't know why. Because I keep stuffing it in. All the stuff there is to stuff. That is the ground of opportunity to move into life as it was not intended into the life that you were intended to live. You see, we, we tend to think as sin and dissatisfaction and malaise as normal. Mm -mm. 
It's a symptom of our sin. What is the normal pattern of life from the perspective of God? Is wholeness and righteousness and fullness. And Jesus had the audacity to say, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Behind that, I believe, is the beautiful invitation of Isaiah 55. In Isaiah 55, God says to his people, Ho, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat that which is good and let your soul delight in its fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you even the sure mercies of David. Come, come to the water, everyone that is thirsty. Come to the banquet and buy it without money. You ever pause to think about what a wild and funny line that is? There's, there's only one reason why you would go into, into a, a restaurant, let's say, it, let's say you'd go into to, uh, to Galatoire's in New Orleans or somewhere, and you just, you'd just sit down and you order every luscious thing on the menu, and, and you'd eat, and at the end of it you'd say, oops, I got no money. There are a lot of reasons why you might do that. A lot of reasons. One, you might just be crazy as a hatter. Or two, you're so desperate. Maybe you're just so hungry that you go down to the Goodwill and, and you find the best of the discarded clothes and you try to look the part and you just come in and say, I'll have it all. The meat, the cheese, the wine, the bread, the chocolate after it's over. Oops. Or you're told to do it. And those two things come together. Your deep need and God's gracious invitation. Jesus was able to say blessed on that mountain. He was able to say congratulations because he knew that the deep need of those people was being met by the graciousness of God. And so he said, come that are thirsty. Blessed are you in your thirst. For I can promise you this. I can promise you this. You will be satisfied. One day in God's good future, we will banquet with him. And that good future breaks into the present and we have tokens of it. We have signs of it in this moment. And our gladness in this earth, even if it's a melancholy gladness, is a gladness that comes truly and richly from God who said, I will be your righteousness. I will be your life.
Come unto me. Come unto me. And that, that's good news. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the beauty of the gospel. And we thank you, Lord, that even in our stirrings and our dissatisfaction in this earth, that that barb, that that stinger, Lord, is to push us toward you. We were made for so much more than what just the material things of this earth can offer. We were made for you. We were made by you. We were made for you that you might have preeminence in our lives, Lord. Would you pull us toward that place? And would you help us to have faith, Lord, that, that latches on to that which is latching on to us, Lord? Help us, help us in this moment to seek first the kingdom. In seeking first the kingdom, we are seeking the face of the king. And thank you, Lord, that you have invited us to do that very thing. So, Lord, as we sing, I pray that all of us uh, would, would take that next step in our lives, that next step toward the water, that, Lord, we would, we would in our thirst come to you, the living water. Lord, for some of us, it's, it's just a, a Sunday morning, Lord's Day, refreshing commitment to say, Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for this week. And, and I want you to have preeminence in my life this week. Would you fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit? For some, it's a matter of, of obediently following Christ in baptism. For some, Lord, it, it may be to join this church and to begin to serve and to worship. For some, it's to stop. Whatever you're doing in our lives, Lord, I pray that we would respond for your glory and for our good. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, would you stand and would you sing? And as you sing, if God has led you to respond publicly, would you do that uh, for his glory and for your good? Let's sing together.